evening. This is Sadie Miller, the voice of Sarah Jane Smith, and you're listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'll see you in the future. For June seventh, twenty twenty-two, I'm Steve Fodor. I'm Chip Hassenflow. We're just a couple of guys sitting around talking about things that are important to us. Hopefully, they're important to you. If you need more information, there's so many great ways to find more information. Uh, can you hear in my voice, Chip? It's summertime, and the living is easy. I have no schedule. I have nothing to do, and life is wonderful in June. Well, it's uh, summertime, and you're still pasty white, Steve. I still, have, I still have a sweatshirt on and I'm still in the basement and it's still wonderful. I, I just love the freedom. I wish that they would pay me like they do all summer to do nothing. <laughs> That's because you get to prepare it for next next year. I'll, I'll get a to teacher, that. You'll get those. Uh, you'll get those hours in later on this year. You'll hear it in my voice in August when I'm frantically making sure that I have all the things that I need. June is absolutely vacation. <laughs> film at 11. Brings us to our film at 11, our movie of the week. Chip and I have been watching religiously, which means, of course, on our knees, the series season four of Stranger Things on Netflix. So we're watching Stranger Things, which is not a movie, Mm. but boy, it is cinema-like, isn't it, Steve? Every episode is so well put together. The the money that has been spent on the Stranger Things series, especially season four, the graphics, the stories, the character development is so cinematic. So we get all of the episodes except for episode seven and eight, which will be released when, Steve? July 1st, we're going to see the final part of season four. They're calling it volume two. So we have most of the story up to this point. But yeah, the last two episodes, episode eight will have a runtime of about an hour and a half. And episode nine will be about two and a half hours long. So this is a movie in and of itself, a long movie. Oh, yeah. And, you know, each of the episodes we've watched so far have been over an hour each. Mm -hmm. I mean, so there's a lot to it. We want to first acknowledge that Stephen King basically Mm -hmm. questioned the writers on this, sent out a tweet saying, hey, where are the, uh, where is the rest of this and why would you delay it? And uh, they responded, sorry, Uncle Stevie, eight and nine aren't done yet, but we're working as fast as we can. Glad you're enjoying it. And then she picked up your super subtle carry riff. And then they gave like some kind of crazy emoji symbol. So Stephen King is enjoying this and he should, because this is certainly a, a pastiche or an homage to a lot of uh, Stephen King work. There's no doubt that Stranger Things would not exist without Stephen King's writing. Yes, the Carrie moment in season four absolutely is there. We have so many different things that are pastiched. That's that's a verb in this series. Uh, did you catch the Evil Dead references? Uh, no, Steve, the- I didn't watch the Evil Dead. Oh, but- there's... Anytime that there's white eyeballed zombies, I'm sure that we are looking at an Evil Dead reference. There is a Evil Dead poster in one of the kids' rooms. That's that's the thing that I've noticed about season four. And maybe it's true of seasons one to three also. Whichever poster they have in their rooms, that's the movie that they're trying to show us in Stranger Things. The beginning, the first season, was a lot of Goonies, a lot of kids running around having adventures. And indeed, there was a Goonies poster in one of the kids' rooms in season one. Well, I certainly also see a lot of Steven Spielberg in this. Uh, Certainly, he is being this, we've got young people. You know, you could say, well, you know, Stephen King, stand by me type thing. But Mm -hmm. really, you know, when you start looking at E.T., or any of the other things that could be going on right then, 
they certainly have that childlike wonder that Spielberg captures so well. And certainly, I mean, was part of our, our youth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the empowerment of these kids having this adventure, the the parents are there, uh, but they are not the ones in power. It's the kids that are solving the crime and the and finding out about the supernatural elements that are behind all of these things that are happening in Hawkins. And I'm very glad that we went up to Gary Khan up in uh, Lake Geneva, and we got to spend some time with the Dungeons and Dragons. Um, original writers and artists and things of that nature and the people who originally played this game because this series plays out like a Dungeons and Dragons mission or journey or however you play the game Uh, because the characters are very much Dungeons and Dragons character. You have a dungeon master who is the person who is controlling the game Mm -hmm. and you have the group of kids who, you know, they're playing Dungeons and Dragons in this. And uh, the question is, is do they take the risk and take on the big bad guy? Well, my assumption is, is that's the foreshadowing of that they are taking on the big bad guy right now uh, in in real life as, as far as instead of playing the game. Mm-hmm. And the big bad guy in season four is Vecna, who is a character from Dungeons and Dragons, uh, originally named for Jack Vance, the fantasy author who inspired the magic system that is used in Dungeons and Dragons. So Vecna is directly out of Dungeons and Dragons. Well, and the Duffner brothers, who are the writers, producers, blah, 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 blah. They're from Durham, North Carolina. I'm not sure if you're catching all the North Carolina and Durham references in there, but they're there. I'm sure that I'm missing all of those references, but boy, oh boy, did I catch all the Nightmare on Elm Street references in season four. Oh yes, oh yes. And that's where this is so playful, is that you don't have to catch all of these winks at this period of time to enjoy this truly uh, scary adventure, like scary in a good way adventure. This is not scary in the Disney uh, way. And this is not scary in the sense that it's there to shock you. This is scary in the sense that we're going on an adventure. You know, this is Lord of the Rings. We're going to meet some bad guys along the way and stuff like that. But don't you see the maturation of these kids matching up with the maturation of the story that this is much more horror than the first season. Yeah. And I think that if we thought of Harry Potter, so think of star Wars, star mm-hmm. Wars is kind of made up, made up along the way. There's kind of an outline and it doesn't always mesh up real well. Harry Potter and JK Rowling's matured that in the sense that there was this, seven volumes in these movies and stuff but really seven volumes they worked you understood the rules of the uh the universe well certainly stranger things has been very thoughtful certainly not as um you know i don't anticipate this being as disappointing as um game of thrones was with the end of stranger things yeah i i agree with you where where with um game of thrones it eventually came out that they had not read the books. Mm-hmm. They, um, you know, and Martin had shared with them some things, but certainly they had to flesh it out. And it was kind of a dud on, on the, this bad guy had been built up for all that time. Stranger Things seems to have, you know, we could have stopped at the last season, right? Mm-hmm. But but we had this new season. We had this new, more, um, you know, they've all leveled up, Steve. Agreed. And so they're ready to take on the next big baddie on this adventure. And I just, they just do such a great job. I think the, um, the worlds they've created, the upside down, the multiple um, stories going along, the Winona Ryder story that's going on, the mom, we've got, Mm -hmm. we've got the story of, you know, um, the kids who've moved away. And, you know, spring break, and we're going to fly one of the, the boyfriend in. The, um, the, the challenge of Eleven being recaptured and needing her powers and feeling lost without her powers, but never truly fitting in. I mean, there's so many 
I mean, that's that's the Spielberg part of it. Yeah. Um, this is just uh, a true joy to watch. And I think this is uh, something that when I say family, I wouldn't say young children. Correct. But I would say, I don't know, 10 years up, 12 years. Up. Um, I would be hesitant to, to say 10 years up for this. I think that this is a little more horror than I would suggest for my fifth graders. I would say my eighth graders, my 13 year olds are certainly go. the audience that is built in for this. We were that audience when we were watching all of those Spielberg movies, when we were watching Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Correct. which is such a frightening concept, but putting the adventurer as a 13 year old going through this and finding the power to be victorious in this i think this appeals to that age very strongly certainly uh, a more mature twilight zone type thing there's certainly some elements of the twilight zone here i don't know that the duffer brothers are exactly thinking of that i I don't, I don't think so but you could see if you were going to like the next movie i would recommend would be jordan peele's nope you know, hmm. certainly you could create a string of similar-ish type of horror, um, something strange is going on, twists. Hmm. You know, I, th- I think that, that you know, we, we've grabbed that genre. And, and I just want to say that we, we, we're talking around the story. Mm-hmm. The yes, st- we are. Um, and there's a reason for that, because if you enjoyed the, the first three seasons, I think that you will find that you're, you're enjoying this. I, I, what I love about this is that there's nothing, I'm going to say it, there's nothing preachy about this. These are kids going on an adventure, okay? Mm-hmm. The boys, the girls, you know, they're going through all the challenges of, of things. They're trying to discover themselves, Um Certainly, you got the the nerdy kid who had something negatively hidden in the back that eventually comes out that works against them. We've got eleven. We've got the girl who uh, is in the band who's wants to hit on another girl, but you know is really kind of afraid to because uh-huh. they capture the eighties really, really well. And in fact, I, we didn't mention this. They captured the the panic, the you know Al Gore's wife with the parental advisory stickers on the music and Mm -hmm. the um, uh, I'm trying to think of what the uh, evangelical movement of the time was. Maybe it was kind of demonic panic. Is that what it is? I was thinking of the the silent majority type thing, but it's the same thing where they basically come in and say satanic panic, satanic panic. The idea of painting immorality into this idea of playing this game of Dungeons and Dragons, this idea that they are somehow going to uh, worship Satan while they're playing this game, not the truth of the thing. No, and, and it wasn't, and it was never, yeah. If you think about, I'm Gary Gygax, I'm trying to sell this. There's two parts to it. One, you want sort of the, you know, you want all the publicity from it because my not, my goodness, young people and people who have interest in, you know, kind of being a little bit on the edge, they'll flock to it. I mean, it's the reason why heavy metal bands and glam bands, they use all the symbols that they use, but mm-hmm. it isn't. I mean, it's, it's just there as it's like Lord of the Rings. It's just sort of, it's part of the, is the, the march, the long hike, the, uh, the story, or is it all the characters they run along the way? You, you, you don't know. Or is it the character development of those people on that hike? And I think that Stranger Things has shown us that character development of these kids so well, the kids and the parents, and showing us what all of those elements of the 80s did to us and made us the uh, mature, should I use that word? The mature people that we are today. Yeah. <laughs> Our children do not have to deal with a lot of the junk that we had to deal with. And, and they've I, got their own junk. Oh, no, you're absolutely right. They've got their own uniqueness. Anyway, um, what, what can I say? I'm going to give this 85 out of 100. This is a, a very, very good, highly recommended. Um, even if you are not part of this genre, there's really something there. This is, once again, I think you, you hit it right, 13 and up. 
And a person who has, you know, has a little bit of knowledge of the 80s or for young people, maybe the nostalgia of the 80s, you know, listening to that uh, music of the time and all that other stuff. You mean my eighth graders that tell me all about Rick Astley and how important Rick Astley was to the 80s? Yes, those kids that have a very, very skewed view of what life was like when I was their age. Yes, I think those kids would love this. I think it's strong. I think season four of a series like this might have been bad. And this is not. This is really good storytelling. Great character development. I care about these characters while they're going through this adventure. And who would have thought that you would not be the last member in Members Only? <laughs> How many Members Only jackets are in the, the costume vans across LA <laughs> right now? There are so many. That was that was the symbol of so many things. <laughs> well, it's all maroon, Steve. It's a very maroon time. <laughs> <laughs> I recommend this series highly. I recommend anybody that hasn't bought into this is the zeitgeist of the 21st century in a lot of ways. The Netflix release of this one series is the thing that that ties us together we've talked about this a lot if you're not in with the current pop culture conversation you're left out stranger things is that conversation in a lot of ways well steve you actually went to the theater this week tell us a little bit about the bob's burgers movie steve I did. My son, who is 16 years old, loves the TV show Bob's Burgers on Fox. He finds the comedy and the character development of this show to be perfect. I enjoy the show. I don't have any, there's nothing wrong with it. I enjoy the comedy of it. It is not the Simpsons of the 1990s, though, for me. For me, the Simpsons was so much that pop culture mirror, looking at what we're doing with pop culture. Bob's Burgers is, is about a family running a restaurant and the fun, silly adventures that they get into. The Bob's Burgers movie was released to theaters uh, a week and a half ago now. And yes, my 16 year old son and I went and had the adventure of watching this movie in the theater. I got to tell you, it's a good episode of this TV show, but it's not a great movie. The character development that is in the movie is minor. It's just another episode of this family going through this mystery to save their restaurant once again that's usually the theme of every episode of bob's burgers so one of the real challenges of putting a movie like that is you get a lot of people who have no this is their first introduction to this they didn't watch this uh, on television their grandchild wants to go watch it they're going to go watch it with them good i mean would, would no. they not no, I, I don't think that that grandma, that grandpa going to Bob's Burgers with that 16-year-old would enjoy this. Uh, I think that they would, they would find joy in the joy that the child brings because of the backstory, because of that knowledge of these characters. This is not a standalone story. This is just an episode. All right, Steve, let's go ahead and bring the Iceman into this. Tell yes. us a little bit about what Amazon Prime's gift to you was. Val. Yeah. It, it, this is a documentary about Val Kilmer, simply called Val. And it is a very striking story of a life. You, many of you may know Val Kilmer from his movie roles. Maybe you remember him uh, when he played Batman. And maybe you remember him from Iceman in the Top Gun series, which is now a series because there's two of them. Uh, Val Kilmer is an actor that I've known for a long time. My favorite Val Kilmer movie is Top Secret. You might remember a very, very, yeah. very silly spy movie are you going to straighten the rug <laughs> where he's playing an elvis clone yes sir. Are, you, are you going to go uh uh, uh skeet surfing <laughs> skeet Sur <laughs> i love that movie i love the silly ridiculous uh what's what's their name which brothers is that that's the steve all you need to tell people is that there was this movie called airplane and it's the same people they the Zucker Brothers. That's yeah. right. They put together Top Secret, which was not uh, was not uh, a hit, 
but uh, certainly very, very funny, especially when they get to France and they mm-hmm. have to, uh, they've got all the French people introduce themselves. The chocolate mousse. <laughs> yes. There you go. Top Secret is one of those little silly comedies that has really resonated with me over time. I also loved Val Kilmer as Jim Morrison in The Doors. This documentary that I watched this week called Val is a combination of all of the video footage that Val Kilmer shot on the sets of all of these movies. He was that kind of guy that walked around with a video camera for 40 years, getting behind the scenes reactions from all of the actors and cast and crew from all of these movies and putting it together into this documentary is, is a beautiful story of a life. Well, what's the real challenge? We haven't seen Val Kilmer in anything recently. What's going on? Yeah, he unfortunately has been suffering from throat cancer and he has completely lost his ability to speak at this point. And so it's it's really difficult to watch this documentary where he is actively suffering and not being able to be himself, not being able to express himself, which is a big part of acting, obviously, and seeing the struggles of that and there's one of the real challenges of getting older. You know, mm-hmm. you really are this person who can do everything about Kilmore. And then you go to a person who has some challenges. And is really struggling. And the, we see some very, very raw moments in this documentary where he is ill, where he cannot do what he wants to do he's at a convention signing autographs and he has to go and and lay down because he does not have the stamina the energy to sit at a desk and sign posters it's very sad sure and you said the narrator was his son Yes, his son, Jack, who sounds just like a young Val Kilmer. I I was really wondering whether they were using the AI version of his voice at the beginning of this movie, like they did in the Top Gun Maverick movie. But no, this is his son, Jack, narrating in first person, telling Val's story for him. It is a beautiful tale of a life, a beautiful tale of family, uh, how much time and effort we put into that idea of family and how Val Kilmer has done that over the years. It's, it is a beautiful, sad, touching story of a life. I, I recommend it highly. Steve, let's go boldly where no person has gone before. Yes, there are two Star Trek series that I'm watching right now. The first one is called Star Trek Strange New Worlds, and the other one is called The Orville, the not Star Trek Star Trek series. Seth MacFarlane's love letter to Star Trek The Next Generation. Season three of that started this week, and boy, oh boy, Chip, is it a dark dark tale uh, on the idea of suicide cultural norms and duty to others it is the least funny episode of the orville ever and so the orville typically is a comedy series it was originally a comedy from seth mcfarland the guy that brought you family guy a very silly slapsticky kind of star trek but boy oh boy episode one was not funny at all so what are they doing that that's not funny it's, it's focused on suicide. One of the main characters chooses to end his life, and the rest of the crew of the ship is faced with this mortality and faced with the idea that he felt like he was a burden and he felt like the only solution was to remove himself from the ship. It's a very, very touching episode. Well, that sounds awful. Um, it really was. It, it, it's really good. It's really a great exploration of these very awful ideas, and and it goes into the thinking process both from the the person who commits suicide and from all the loved ones. It's beautiful, but it's uh, it's hard to take for sure. Steve, tell us a little bit about Strange New Worlds on Paramount Plus. 
Strange New Worlds is actual Star Trek. This is happening before Star Trek, the original series. This is Captain Pike, who was the captain of the Enterprise before Captain Kirk. And uh, Spock is there and Uhura is there. And uh, boy, episode five is the funniest episode of Strange New Worlds ever. It's called Spock Amok. It is a Freaky Friday-style episode where Spock and his fiance switch bodies and live in each other's shoes for a day. It is full of hijinks. Again, we're watching Stranger Things where there are two worlds, the upside down and the real world. And I swear to you, this is an example of where we're living in the upside down because the Star Trek episode was really funny and the Orville episode was really sad. (laughs) How interesting. How interesting that they would choose this tone. Mm -hmm. Looking forward. What military is going to allow Spock to continue if he's switching places? There are so many things that are happening in both of these shows that I really question how a military, how not even if it's not a military, even a star fleet, how does a star fleet operate with all of these hijinks happening on both of these programs? Interesting. Would you recommend this? I absolutely think everybody should be watching Star Trek Strange New Worlds, even if you don't know anything about Star Trek. The characterizations, the character development is so strong. The writing is maybe the best writing since Star Trek The Next Generation. And so is this appealing to lifetime fans or are they trying to get new people to watch it? Are you, are your children, would your son watch this? My, my sons are not actively watching this show because it says star trek on it that is a turnoff for them uh i think that if they watch this if they put a name on it other than star trek i think that everybody would enjoy this how interesting because it's also saying that these franchises may not have the value that we think that they have but at the same time that that franchise name on the tin certainly draws a huge number of followers. That is a built in audience where not having the name Star Trek on it. If this was uh, some other spacefaring show, it might not draw the same audience. It's, It's a challenge for sure. Sure. We've got some franchise movies opening this week. We've got Jurassic World Dominion coming to theaters. Hey, Steve, the first cast and the second cast get together to see what some you know, dinosaurs are going to do. You absolutely loved the original Jurassic Park movie and the book from Michael Crichton. Are you excited for this iteration of this story? This is the type of movie I'll go see, but I, I don't. I'm, when you say, am I excited? No, I don't see the anything beyond the first book, which is about T-Rexes, which is mm-hmm. very, very fun. The second book was written like a screenplay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the first movie was fun because I remember just sort of what it meant to go into a theater and you, when they stopped and they looked up at the brachiosaur, I mean, you could have been there. I mean, it was like a zoo type of situation. That's why it was amazing. The second movie by Spielberg, interestingly enough, becomes like a Godzilla film. I've always wanted to do a Godzilla film. It was awful. Mm -hmm. So this is interesting in the sense that it's fun seeing dinosaurs. But it's, you know, it's the story really should have been the animals got off the island and were working their way up North and South America and how to deal with animals that are that strong, that are that destructive. Mm-hmm. So you will go see this, but you have very little expectation for it. I huh? have very little expectation. The cast is fine. The, um, the dinosaurs are cool, but mm-hmm. you know, it's about what it is. Okay. Crimes of the Future is a movie that was released this week. Writer and director David Cronenberg is showing us uh, some (laughs) terrifying body horror in this story. So what's the story about, Steve? This looks really interesting, but maybe in a scary way. Ah, The idea of metamorphosis of organs 
on stage as avant-garde performance art. That's the concept of crimes of the future. Uh, I have no interest in watching body horror and the idea of watching it live on stage. No, no, thank you. You're not going to see You're not going to grab like some Totinos and sit down and, and watch this. No, no, I am not. And it's not just because Kristen Stewart is the star. Uh, you know how much I do not like Kristen Stewart as an actor. Uh, she has apparently reacted. Reacted? Really? I, I don't think that she ever reacts. She has apparently <laughs> reacted to audiences have been walking out of screenings of this movie because it is just too horrific to to sit and watch is, is that true or is that hype because when i saw the fly the remake with uh jeff goldblum i remember mm -hmm. like oh my goodness it was it was a lot for me yeah that is the david cronenberg style of filmmaking that gross out make you sick to watch this thing happening to a, another human being Boy, I, I love The Fly, 1986, David Cronenberg, Jeff Goldblum. Wow. Okay, maybe I'll watch this. All right, so. <laughs> You've convinced me. <laughs> so I'm Charlie Walker is also released this, uh, this week. Those are our th three theater releases, Steve. This is a very small week for uh, releases. Uh, I think you have one release, and that's Jurassic World Dominion. I think that the, that is going to be your big film of the week for sure. But we've got something on, on Netflix, Steve. Yep, we've got Hustle coming up. This is the latest Adam Sandler Netflix movie. This is a very serious, not funny, silly Adam Sandler comedy. Queen Latifah, Robert Duvall, and Jaleel White are in this story about a washed-up basketball scout looking for the next NBA player it promises to be a feel-good mix of jerry Maguire, rocky and he got game well there you go it's got adam sandler with a beard steve you know what he's being serious because he has facial hair that's serious adam sandler not goofy uh happy gilmore <laughs> steve we got something for the young people this week on disney plus we've been talking about the idea of making pop culture for the young people and how star wars might not be that for a lot of young people and maybe the the marvel cinematic universe is the place to go for young people there's a young person story coming out this week on disney plus called ms marvel and she's polly steve i polymorpheus yes yes chip that's that's very culturally sensitive of you. She has polymorphous powers. <laughs> this is a six episode series. Uh, a young person in high school getting these powers, figuring out how to to live her dual life, her regular high school life, and her superhero life. I look forward to this one. I I do have the graphic novel of this sitting around somewhere. I haven't actually read it, but I do own it. Does that count? Well, they changed the character's powers from the comics to this series. Okay. I, I look forward to the story. The trailer looks really promising. It really looks like a, a good empowerment of, of young people story. And, and this is definitely aimed towards young people. Mm -hmm. Good. You got a chance to go and see a stage play, uh, you know, a musical. You watch something called Hamilton. Steve, I went to the theater. Uh -huh. Ah, the theater. <laughs> and I got to see uh, this musical. Maybe somebody has heard of it, Steve, because you got to see it at the theater in Chicago. I did. Is this a musical, Chip? Is it a musical? Steve... Why don't you school me on what's the difference between a musical and an opera, Steve? That was your quiz. That was your quiz because I've already given you this story off the air. But now let me explain to everybody else. Hamilton is an opera, not a musical. The idea of opera is every word is sung. And Hamilton being a hip hop opera, every word that is communicated to the audience is through that rhythmic singing that is hip-hop not stopping a song giving us dialogue and then 
in the dialogue starting up another song that would be a musical this is an opera how did you like this all right so first of all i'm going to mention that this is a rescheduled uh performance from covid so this is the touring uh group um because you got to see the chicago production of this of course the new york production the broadway production what had um all the original cast in it that was recorded and you actually can watch it on disney plus and it mm-hmm. is it is excellent so i got to see with a cast that i had i didn't know anybody in this cast and all i can say is this material is incredibly strong steve it mm-hmm. is so strong i'm not sure if the cast could truly mess it up because they were a different cast it was certainly um it wasn't they were going beat for beat with the original cast um i thought they did an incredible job uh i i, I really enjoy thomas jefferson i mean and how just outlandish he is in the in this um i enjoy um certainly hamilton and george washington and I, what i really caught most in this was i never really connected real well with philip his son um mm-hmm. who who also dies of of a um uh, of a, you know a duel and uh, you know of course we get the and i really got to see that last scene where aaron burr shoots hamilton i usually don't listen to that song i usually stop somewhere when i'm listening to the musical before that so i got to really experience that and man miranda just really nails that song where a flash of light you know a gunshot and what we end up getting is this, I'm going through my life. Um, things speed up. Things, you know, everything's flashing before me. How do you do that in music? Mm-hmm. And man, Miranda did an incredible, incredibly good job at that. And of course, as it ends, we've got, um, you know, Mrs. Hamilton uh, and what she did to work with her um, husband's legacy. Mm-hmm. It's such a wonderful story. Lin-Manuel Miranda put together such a a striking story. I love the story of the writing of the story where he's reading this biography and it starts to sing to him. He hears this music while he's reading the story of Hamilton and everyone says, well, you're going to do what now? You're going to make a story about Alexander Hamilton. Who is who I've heard of him, but who's Alexander Hamilton. And this musical has changed musical theater. There's no doubt that musical theater has changed because Lin-Manuel Miranda is such a musical genius. Well, next summer I'm going to see six. Mm. And and wouldn't exist without this for sure. I, I, I think so too. And, you know, as much as Wicked also had an impact on theater, I think that this is probably has an equal you know, you have a like a change of the guard or change of the story. You know, without Wicked, we may not get Frozen, that mm-hmm. type of thing. Um, but with uh, Hamilton, I mean, certainly was such a distinguishing, um, uh, you know, Broadway show. I, 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 I can't help but just suggest if you haven't watched it, certainly Disney Plus is a way to watch it. Mm-hmm. But it is so strong. It is a very good story and there's a lot of material it's not a short it's not a short story Mm -hmm. i went to see it and i saw it in a particular showing that had subtitles they had an lcd screen at the bottom of the stage that showed me the words that were being said and that changed the way that i watched this for sure i understood so much more because i'm an old person and and i can't hear as well as I used to and seeing the words and hearing the words and seeing the actions all at the same time was just a revelation I do highly suggest you go to Disney Plus and watch that version and I highly suggest you put on the subtitles for it well the rapping can get very very quick especially Mm -hmm. when you get uh, David uh, who plays um, uh, Lafayette and Jefferson I mean he is he's a very fast rapper Mm-hmm. And then they've just got such a great cast. What can you say? Anyway, highly, um, highly, highly enjoyable. Um, I got to see it once again at the Durham Performing Arts Center, Deepak, and I got to see the touring uh, cast recommended. 
Our book of the week. Uh, hey, hey, Chip, have I mentioned how much I like science fiction in the last eight years? I don't know. Let me go back through time and see if I can figure it out. I read a book this week called The Science of Science Fiction by Mark Brake. I love this style of writing. The idea of taking pop culture and showing us how that pop culture relates to a field like science is one of my favorite ways of writing. I enjoy thinking about all the ideas that are in science fiction and pop culture through the lens of truth, the, the lens of current ideas and science. I enjoy this book and this style of writing so much. It's kind of like listening to a podcast. Mark Brake has broken down so many different concepts and gives us episodic views, chapter by chapter, section by section. He's got four parts to this book. The first part is space. Part two is time, part three is machines, and part four is monsters. And the idea of how these pop culture things apply to today and to the science that's being done. How interesting. We, we read a book similar to this, different but similar, called Soonish by uh, Kelly and Zach Wienersmith, where uh, they 10 emerging technology that will improve or ruin everything. That seems like it would be like a, a nice bookend to this. There's, there's a lot of great work being done thinking through where we are, who we are, and where we're going from here. And some of that work is being done in science fiction, in pop culture. The idea of part one, space talks about you know is space full of extraterrestrials we've been talking about extraterrestrials people creatures from other planets for as long as we've thought about the idea of space the fermi paradox are there are there klingons around uranus <laughs> welcome to the show folks <laughs> good night everybody <laughs> The Fermi paradox is one of my favorite conversations about this. The idea that there are so many billions of stars that are similar to the sun. There should be Earth-like planets in our galaxy. And the idea that we haven't seen any intelligent civilizations like Earth is, is a paradox. Well, the Fermi paradox, is that CERN? Ah. Oh, uh, oh, the bad jokes keep coming, Steve. Oh, Chip. Welcome to Dad Joke Central. <laughs> <laughs> I am, I'm always intrigued by space. I'm always intrigued by the idea of meeting extraterrestrials. I, I watch a lot of TV where that is the story. And I've always speculated that there's a possibility that maybe extraterrestrials have visited the Earth and that pop culture is telling us those stories well thank goodness the history channel seems to address that every day steve <laughs> i don't know why anybody would pay for cable i don't i don't get it <laughs> it's history steve it's history as far as you know was it was it aliens it was probably aliens <laughs> is there a possibility that in the universe at some point <laughs> right Part two is all about time and it brings up those possibilities that that alternative history that what if what if we had the ability to go back in time if we could go back what would we do how would we change and the. Chicago's Philip K. Dick is featured in this section, talking about all of those alternative histories with the man in the high castle and the future seeking with Minority Report and Total Recall and the story that became Blade Runner, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? This is something 
obviously that I love. I love the idea of time travel and alternative history. We've read so many alternative history books in the last eight years. It's fun to think about who we are and where we're headed based on the history of where we came from. Sure. Tell us a little bit about part three. Part three is all about the machines. As the teacher of innovative technology, I talk to my students about machines all the time. What are these machines going to do for us? And the author looks at 1984, uh, George Orwell's uh, totalitarian state story, talking about double speak and fake news and cameras everywhere and being observed by big brother. And it's interesting to think of that term new speak that was coined in that book. And the idea of not knowing what's true and how we kind of, kind of live in an Orwellian state in a lot of ways right now. Well, certainly if, you know, that's one of the questions you always have about the United States and about our, you know, newspapers and things of that nature, you know, constantly being uh, challenged with fake news. You know, when you watch CNN or you watch Fox, are you getting the news or are mm -hmm. you getting some filter on how to view the world? And there's a, that's a real big issue. We've had areas like, I mean, you think about what Elon Musk is trying to do with Twitter, um, the idea of having a free speech zone, okay? But certainly people want to silence the haters, Steve. You know, mm -hmm. a group of person, a person who may, you know, when you have free speech, the first thing, what do we get? We get hate speech. Mm -hmm. And the question is, is how do you just, do you shut down hate speech in order to preserve, you know, something that, that was at least argued that it's free speech? I mean, there's, mm -hmm. there's a lot going on there. My, my point being is Orwell was about taking history, rewriting it, rewriting the narratives of it. We have studies that kind of show that that can happen. All you have to do is put out a movie about a historical event and the history goes away and people remember the movie, the drama, the idea, the story instead of the actual history. Absolutely. So when we will go and watch Hamilton, the musical, we're getting it from his point of view, from a book that was researched about him by a person who has selectively picked out history of that. Is that enough to have an idea of really what goes on or is going on? Or do you need to do further research on that, maybe learn a little bit about uh, George Washington or Lafayette. You know, these characters are characters there. They may not be the real history. And let me also go, uh, show this. Winning Time was the HBO Max series that was just released about Magic Johnson and the rise of the Lakers. And a lot of the Lakers, the people who played for the Lakers, and a lot of people who worked for the Lakers are not happy with it because they're saying that that's not true. And the, the producers and the writers said, hey, we're writing a entertainment story. It's true-ish. Well, mm -hmm. at what point, you know, are we supposed to, how much are we supposed to take this? You know, how much is real and what's not real? Anyway, there we go. And in addition to that, we are living right now in an age of digitalization, where we are becoming more and more digital citizens. And the, the frightening part of that is the, the development of AI is intersecting that digital lifestyle. And the knowledge that we have, the algorithms can change our reality. If we're not given the facts from one perspective or the other we only have one perspective and your perspective the news that's fed to you might be very different from the news that's fed to me based on those algorithms yeah so it's, this this is i mean it really is they'll look back and just see how gullible we were <laughs> in history i think I, I think that we do that a lot in history already. We look at how 
perspectives changed over time and in the future will we see uh some of the missteps that were taken in the development of the internet and the digital lifestyle i think i think we probably will and, and just recognize how sheltered if you were in north korea if you were mm-hmm. in china if you're in russia um where your access to information is really controlled then it really could change your perspective I also should mention that my cousin who moved to Canada, who watches the news, he suggests that the way we receive news mm-hmm. is not very good. We, we, we rarely see world news, mm-hmm. that they, how they would see the world news. Propaganda is something that we think about for other people, but is the news that we're getting fed to us from a certain perspective. Absolutely. It is. It has to be, it can't be done any other way, but what perspective, whose choices are we seeing? That's a very deep conversation about the machines and 1984 in this book. Well, part four seems to be about Godzilla and King Kong. Steve, tell us more about it. Yes, part four is all about the monsters, those those mutants, that cloning, that genetic engineering, that we are in the middle of the science of all of that right now. We have been deluged with the idea of who are we on a genetic level, genetic engineering, the idea of changing your DNA. We are right on the precipice of that. Once we mapped the genetic code, we now can make changes. And the question becomes, should we, should we change somebody's DNA to give them a better life? Did they ask Kristen Stewart? (laughs) He said, line. <laughs> My first thought also on this is the History Channel. Certainly has nothing to do with that, does it, Steve? <laughs> Thank goodness the, uh, the History Channel is there to give us history. From a certain point of view. From a certain, from a certain point of view, the Clone Wars were fought because... <laughs> is it possible that a group from outer space came and changed your DNA? Made you what you are today. Yes, it is. Well, I guess when you ask it that way, (laughs) anything is possible. (laughs) And we we think about mutations because, boy, have we talked about mutations the last few years, talking about the COVID virus and how it has mutated and changed and and is attacking us. Are, Are there mutations to our genetic code that are happening right now due to our environment and uh what what are the possible side effects of all of the things that we're doing in our in our environment this seems like a very interesting book steve were you were you did you enjoy it i enjoy this very much i enjoy this style of writing the idea of uh taking an idea like pop culture especially pop culture and analyzing it college level analysis i enjoy this writing mark brake has a series of these books the science of and uh, i think that i'm gonna go ahead and read some more of these the next one might be the science of jurassic park by the way so maybe we'll read that one together you and i (laughs) well you know what he spared no expense steve spared no expense <laughs> and what could happen? Nothing. Nothing bad could happen. Let's just take dinosaurs and put them on an island. Everything will be fine. <laughs> I enjoy this very much. I suggest this and other analyses of pop culture to everybody. This one's called "The Science of Science Fiction." It was published in 2018 by Mark Brake. Scroll with it. Scroll with it. Steve, you know what the great part about um, June is? I do. You tell me. Lots of people get married, Steve. And we oh, should I thought it was no school. I thought it was sitting in my basement all June and not worrying about my job. Okay, yes. A lot of people get married in June. There are lots of cakes, Steve. Lots of cake. You know who we, of- we need to celebrate someone this weekend. Yes. One of our listeners, uh, Sports Steve, is getting married this weekend. Congratulations to him and his bride. June is full of love. I I look forward to the adventures that Steve and Emily have going forward. So he's Sporty Steve, not Sporty Spice. 
I do not call him Sporty Steve, but every time I think of his name, I think of Sporty Spice. (laughs) There's some interesting news uh, coming out this week. Molecular biologist David Sinclair has uh, de-aged some lab mice, Chip. So there's a chance for it, Steve. We could be young at heart and young at the same time. Yeah, back to our conversation about science and science fiction. David Sinclair is doing science that sounds like a story from Spider-Man for sure. So old mice are growing young again is what the statement is. This is a Harvard Medical School. And you know what the great part is that there is a chance you could live forever, Steve. But do you want to? We've had this conversation many times. Well, that's one of the real challenges. The gift you give the next generation is that you will no longer be here. And all of our bad ideas go with us. That's right. So we've we've always been seeking this fountain of youth. And I don't know if we actually want it. Do we really want to live forever? Well, speaking of fountains of youth and bad ideas, Steve, what if we went down to Dixon County, Tennessee this weekend? Yes, this weekend is Earnest Day at Montgomery Bell State Park in Tennessee, the 35th anniversary of the movie Earnest Goes to Camp, filmed right there in Dixon County, Tennessee. Well, you know, uh, Ernest P. Worrell, I, I got my first introduction to him through Pine State Milk, Steve. That's a North Carolina brand. It used to be a North Carolina brand. I don't think it exists anymore. But it was, uh, he had, Jim Varney did a whole series of commercials with that character. He did so many commercials. He, he had commercials for everything. And so silly. Those, those you young people who aren't familiar, familiar with Ernest P. Worrell, I suggest that you pick up an Ernest movie, watch it, and just shake your head at, at the silly slapstick comedy that Jim Varney gave us. So my feeling on that is he... He was like a prequel to streaming services because many of the movies that he created were direct to video Mm -hmm. and they were comedies. They were to be silly. Um, They were family-ish, weren't they? They I mean, certainly there was nothing in them that um, other than, you know, little general, general gross out humor. Yeah. 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 (laughs) And um, for those of you who are really struggling to figure out who those, that guy is, you know, we know him from Toy Story too, Steve. Yes, he was Slinky Dog in the Toy Story movies. He's got that Kentucky accent and that distinctive voice and just so ridiculous in so many roles. My favorite Jim Varney movie is actually not an earnest movie. It's actually the Beverly Hillbillies movie where he played Uncle Jed. And I, I admired his acting, his ability to play so many different characters, so many different styles of comedy. Uh, Jim Varney is definitely missed. So I have never seen uh, an earnest movie, but... How about that? Yes, Steve, that means I have standards. Uh, but you know what? What's really important is they've never had a riff of a of Jim Varney movie, have they? No, no, no. Riffing on comedy is very, very difficult. Making comedy out of comedy is very, very difficult. When something's ridiculous, but it was meant to be serious, that's when you can make fun of it. It's hard to make fun of somebody who's already making fun of themselves. Well, Steve, you know, we should mention that there will be a mm-hmm. film about his life coming out later. Yes, the importance of being earnest. Get it? <laughs> the, life, the life of actor Jim Varney that will be released soon. Uh, I look forward to that. I think that the the documentary of this life will strike me just as much as the documentary of the Val Kilmer story that I watched this week struck me. Of course, you know, two wordsmith, Jim Varney, and Oscar Wilde. Who wouldn't draw that parallel, Steve? It's right there. It's a slam dunk. It's right there in front of you. (laughs) You have to go ahead and say the importance of being earnest and spell earnest like the guy's name instead of the other way. Know what I mean? Know what I mean? Know what I mean? Know what I mean, Vern? The most ridiculous commercial that we found was a Hogan's Heroes promo from some little station somewhere. He did, like, I'm sure... It was like, right in, I will put together your promos for you. Hogan's hero, 
He's holding a machine gun. Yes. Because of course you would in a promo talking about that it was good times during World War II. And please watch a, uh, you know, a prisoner of war camp for World War II. Not problematic at all. (laughs) (laughs) And the fact that it's it's got apparently live ammunition in the machine gun by the end of the promo is is not at all disturbing. It's fine. It's just comedy. Hey, and the deal is, is we haven't had a remake. No one said, you know, we need to really pull this this classic television show story off of the um, off the shelf, and we need to put together a modern version of it. You know, a dark version of it. Uh, there, I agree that, that Ernest P. Worrell has not had a reboot and I don't know that we ever will see that character, but there's no, no, there's, no. I'm like, talking about Hogan's heroes, Steve. Oh, Hogan's, <laughs> Dark Hogan's heroes. Oh boy. I know nothing. <laughs> and you're going to play Schultz. <laughs> I, I, somewhere in my memory, there is a, a, show that said that they were doing that i don't remember what show it was so that's not a great story that just seems like you know that seems like a ben stiller movie right there there you go there you go watch him squirm jack black comes back as schultz i would watch that i would watch the heck out of that i don't know chip i think we have enough information to survive another week what do you think only if we can come back next week steve Yes, sir. I'll be here. Uh, I've got nowhere else to go. I'll be here. I'll be ready for next week. We would love to hear from you. Give us a call or a text. Our phone number is 805-4104-TMS. Our website is toomuchscrolling.com. Our email is toomuchscrolling at gmail.com. We're on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. We're on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and YouTube. And you can always ask your smart speaker to play the latest episode of Too Much Scrolling. I want to thank you again for listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'm Steve Fodor. I'm Chip Hassan-Plus. We'll see you in the future. You know what I mean? Could you hear my brain think up that joke right there? <laughs> <laughs>